You have high standards for your craft, so you should have high standards for how you fuel your daily grind. That's why the Free Pizza Podcast is proudly sponsored by High Brew Coffee. High Brew Coffee specializes in cold brew that's less bitter and has more antioxidants, twice the caffeine, and lower sugar than your average cup of joe. Choose from over 10 delicious flavors with dairy-free, added protein, and low-calorie options, plus a portion of every sale supports direct trade farmers in Colombia. So what are you waiting for? Go to www.highbrewcoffee.com and use promo code PIZZAANDBREW for 20% off of your order of a 12-pack and get cold brew for those who do. Ship directly to your door. Free Pizza, your platform for creatives, and today we have the amazing and wonderful Elsie. What's up? Hi. This is so sick. <laughs> Thank I you think, for having me. Oh, of course. Thank you for making the time to come on and, uh, and do this. Yeah, I know of I was back and forth for a while, and because um, I think we planned this originally, what, a couple weeks ago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my schedule was just crazy, and then I wasn't organized, and but we're here, and it's okay. We're here now, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And Elsie is incredibly, incredibly uh, talented. Um, you Thank are you. in a couple of different mediums. You're illustrator, you're painting, you're using different materials to create work. So mm-hmm. I'm very intrigued. I'm always envious of artists that can do things that are tangible. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Of course, of course. So yeah, so let's dive in. So let's tell us yeah. where you are now and we'll kind of go back in time and kind of go yeah, through the process sure. of becoming whoever you are. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm in living in Baltimore now. Um, I've recently moved here for graduate school. Um, I'm not studying art. I'm actually getting my PhD in philosophy. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, and I'm sure I'll talk a little bit more about how those two things intersect for me. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, up until now, I'm, I'm just starting my program this year, but up until now I was teaching art classes um, for a nonprofit in Vermont. And prior to that, I was in undergraduate school. Wow, so you've been so busy. <laughs> so busy. <laughs> yeah, I've been busy. That's it's so... good. I like it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you've got your new spot, which looks incredible mm-hmm. from your photos on Instagram. So I'm so happy yeah, that yeah. you're doing all that. So yeah, so let's let's go back in time and uh, find out how you got here. So where did the whole art thing start for you? What, what, what was first? Sure. Um, so you kind of have to go way back to the beginning of my life. Um, <laughs> I went to a really sort of odd and wonderful um, progressive school for elementary school and middle school. Mm -hmm. Um, There were only about 50 kids in the whole school and that was kindergarten through ninth grade. So it was, some people have compared it to like homeschooling in a group setting. Okay. Um, So we did a lot of things. I'm so fortunate to have gone there in so many ways. Um, And one of the reasons I think was that we did a lot of things that aren't done in other schools. And one of those things was a lot of emphasis on creating Um, And so that manifested as art, but it also manifested in other ways. Um, And one thing that we did at that school was every year, we every student in school had to do a self portrait and they were hung on the walls there. So I was there for eight years. So by the time I left, I had eight years of self portraits from the time I was five all the way until (laughs) I was 12 or 13, whenever that was. Um, That's awesome. yeah, it's it's cool. Retrospectively, it's really cool, too, because I couldn't draw at all. Um, and they didn't give us any instruction, which I think is something that's maybe a little bit informed how I do my art. Um, they just kind of let us do our portraits however we wanted to do our portraits. Um, wow. It wasn't like an art class. It was just like a kind of expression exercise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think from that, um, that's just one example of the kind of art projects that we did there but um i definitely early on got an interest in without rules making art and expressing in that way um and then as time went on i went to high school and i started to develop i think at the time maybe a little bit of an unhealthy mindset of what it meant to be a feminist or what it meant to be you know sort of like a productive citizen or um, to offer something to the world. And mm-hmm. I think I got bogged down in this idea that I had to do something really, really rigorous um, or something that was really sort of breaking the glass ceiling in some way or another. Mm. I wanted to be a lawyer for a really long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so I think I, and I look back on it and I feel bad for my past self because I think that a lot of my creative instincts and 
ways that for me were really healthy for expressing myself, I kind of kept secret. Um, so I would like do art in secret kind of, and then I would go out into the world and do these other things that I thought at the time were more serious. Um, and now looking back, I do think that was kind of an unhealthy mindset to have. Yes. Um, and at, at least not right for me. Um, and it took some time for me to break out of that. And I think, um, how I got out of that was come undergraduate. I had some really challenging and traumatic experiences that made me feel like I was not connected to the world around me. And mm. I was kind of like losing a little bit of who I was because of that. Um, and I started to find that making art and slowly as I became more confident, sharing art with people was a way to sort of retether me to what I was doing and who I was and the people around me and the community that I had. Um, and through making art, I was sort of able to, I don't like saying anything like art saved me because it wasn't like that, but it's more like I got a new appreciation for art. I realized that it is something very serious. It does this really important work in the world for people who do it. And if the work it's doing is to make somebody feel better and feel connected to other people and feel valuable, then that's just as good as, you know, being a lawyer, if you can yes. promote that, you know? Yes. So I had this pretty dramatic switch in perspective of how important art was as an art maker and then also a member of community. So um, once that happened and I had this like re a cognitive realization of this too, I was like, oh my gosh, I've been wrong this whole time <laughs> about, yeah, about what art can do and the power of art and art making. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to change. I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. Wow, um, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it was, it was so awesome too because it was a very liberating feeling, I think, because I, I was like, I mean, for a while I was closeted in a queer way, but I was also closeted in an art way for a while. Mm. Um, and so I got this sort of like coming out of the closet artist moment from with myself, which wow. was really empowering. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, kind of early-ish in college, I'd say like um, around my sophomore year of college. Um, and then I kind of just sort of changed my track a little bit. I continued to focus on philosophy and um, sort of abandoned any idea that I was going to go to law school or anything like that. And then started studying art through the art program at my university, at my college, um, and loved it, was taking more classes, was really connecting with my professors and the people I was meeting through the arts there, um, as well as kind of nurturing this new identity as an artist that I had in this way of connecting to other people, which was just, oh, it was just such a fulfilling, like, moment for me. Yes. Um, yeah, and then uh, a big sort of turning point, I guess, in my art career was um, towards the end of college, I went abroad and I studied um, with Tyler School of Art in Rome, wow. um, which is part of Temple University, which is in Philly, but they have a program in Rome. So I was able to go there um, through my college, which helped me get there. Um, yeah, which was just a really amazing experience in terms of being in a new environment. Um, I just started having all these new ideas. I was seeing all these new things around me. I was inspired by all these new mediums. When I was there, I was doing paintings made with um, cigarette ash that I would find on the street or wow. red wine or coffee, like things that were, I was seeing around me, I was using them to paint with and things. Um, and the other thing about that experience is that I was suddenly surrounded by a lot of other artists. Um, so the undergraduate school I went to is pretty small and the art track there is even smaller than one would expect from a school that size. There were only, I think there were maybe 12 people in my graduating class. Really? It's very of, intimate. Who were art majors. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very intimate. Um, which was great, but it also meant that at the school, the arts weren't a major focus. Mm. Um, so when I went abroad, I was suddenly in this community of people who really took themselves seriously as artists and they were all into art. They all were gonna be artists and they all were doing so many cool different things. And it was just such a nurturing community for uh, kind of stepping up my game a little bit yeah, um, yeah. in that way. Um, they were, it, it was a little bit of a different environment in that it was a little bit more critique based, um, which isn't something I had had up until that point, um, which also ended up being something that I felt like I could learn from, um, especially because a lot of them were coming with a lot of experience in different kinds of art that 
uh, they don't offer at my undergraduate school. So for example, there was somebody who did textile work, mm -hmm. which I'd never heard of, which is so cool. Or my roommate when I was there did glass blowing. Also That's so awesome. cool. Yeah, shout out to Emily, she's awesome. Um, so I just felt like there were all these different people with different perspectives, um, with different worldviews who were suddenly like able to see, help me see my art in new ways. Um, and I also was in a class there, an advanced painting class that was very freeform. So I got my own little studio space and the professor just kind of let us do whatever we wanted to do wow. for the really vague assignments, um, which was the first time I'd had any sort of artistic freedom because, um, before that, it was very much assignment based. Mm -hmm. And that was my first class that I ever had where the professor was like, okay, just do what you need to do to make this art happen. No and way. I was like, I can do that? Like, it was so permissive, you know? Like, suddenly I had this permission to make whatever I wanted to make. I didn't have to draw this still life or, you know, follow certain guidelines or something like that. And that was the first time that I started doing artwork that was like a little bit different than just drawing or painting. I, mm -hmm. it was sort of painting, but this, this piece isn't on my website. There's a lot of, a lot of art that isn't on my website because I've decided that it doesn't belong on my website. Okay. But this is a piece I learned from um, where I did this giant sort of watercolor figure portrait, similar to some of the things I do now, but bigger in scale. Mm. And um, then I hung it on a wall and beneath it I had and this was totally jerry-rigged too because I didn't really have the materials and I was living in a really urban setting and I didn't know how to, my Italian wasn't very good at the time. So I was like, I don't know how to go out. There's no like Lowe's or Home Depot to go buy a giant bucket at. So I had to use like things I found. But eventually what I ended up doing is I washed all of the painting off of the piece of paper because it's watercolor, so it's soluble, right? Right, right, right. Um, and I uh, took a video of it. And I gathered all of the water that contained the pigment that had been on the paper. Um, and the final piece, as it was presented in the show there, was almost a blank piece of paper that you could vaguely see that there had been a painting and then a whole bunch of bottles of dirty water. And so it was all of the, the painting that I'd made had washed off into this dirty paint water. Mm -hmm. And so the final piece was this sort of odd thing that wasn't really a painting, but you could tell there was a painting there. And then there was all this washed off painting bottled up um which was like you know so far out there from what i was doing before and a little bit more akin to some of the stuff i do now um and uh and that was kind of the first time i did something that was really breaking some of the rules i'd been taught about how we have to make art yes um, how'd that feel it felt it felt really good it also felt kind of crazy like i felt a little bit like should i be doing this are these almost like, is this a thought that I should be having that I should do this? Like, why is this in my head? But I was like, I got to do this. I know I have to do this. And I remember lying there thinking, I know, I know how to make this piece happen the way I want it to. And it's going to take a lot of work and it sounds kind of crazy, but I'm going to do it. And it felt good. You know, um, I have learned a lot about how to properly execute things that are a little bit more conceptual or performance-based since in ways that make them more meaningful to me and more meaningful to the people who are engaging with it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But that was kind of the first step in branching out there. And then um, I returned to the States and I had one more year of undergrad. Um, and that year I had, took a year long seminar class that was the senior seminar um, mm -hmm. for studio practice. And that was liberating in a very similar way. It was a very self-driven um, program. We had a lot of critiques. So I'm just trying to remember because it feels like a long time ago now, but we had... <laughs> We had, I think it was like two times a semester we had critiques with all the faculty and that included the art history faculty if they wanted to join as well as art history students if they wanted to join um, and studio undergraduates if they wanted to be there as well as the studio professors. Um, and those were really intense and kind of scary at first having all these people cram into your tiny little studio that you had there <laughs> yeah. and tell you why you your work wasn't working and it was really that was really hard because a lot of the work I was doing come senior year was finally getting around to process some of these things that had happened to me earlier mm, on in my yeah, life the trauma um, yeah. yeah yeah um and something that I learned that I think maybe has taught me some resilience but also has made me think in different ways about the way the art world kind of functions was 
um, how the way that people would critique art about certain topics. Mm. You know, in some way, some people were very hesitant to talk about art. They knew it was about something like trauma or if they knew it was about some kind of other topic that they felt they couldn't speak to. Um, and then on the other hand, there were people who would intellectualize it and ask questions that were so almost blind to the topic at hand. Um, Mm-hmm. And those, I have to say, those were frequently coming from people who didn't have the same experience. Right. Um, right. And so I, I've seen this mirrored in feminist art, but also in art by people of color who are talking about their experience or art. Um, I saw an exhibit one time of art that was done by people who were incarcerated while they were incarcerated. Um, so that's a similar thing where people pushed against, they were using these rules of like, I don't think this is rendered properly or why would you use oil paint and talking about in their art? Um, and so when I was experiencing that in undergraduate, that was a challenge for me. Um, but I also think it helped me step up my game a little bit um, in terms of trying to make my art something that people who didn't share my experience could understand mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so that I could have a really kind of productive conversation with the viewer. Um, and that's when I started getting more into what would be classified as performance art. Yes. Um, yeah. So the, where femininity marks intimacy project, the lipstick pieces, the lapidation piece, um, and there were a couple of other pieces too in there, um, were kind of birthed from this experience of feeling like I was trying to talk about these things that were inaccessible to the people seeing them. Mm-hmm. And so I was experimenting with new ways of trying to invite viewers to join me in this conversation. Wow. Um, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So that's where the lipstick you. and everything kind of came from, is you trying to, okay, I gotcha. One question, because I'm, I'm curious, we sure. can continue on after that. Obviously, you had your experience with critiques. Now, mm-hmm. I was, I'm someone that did not go to school for art, so mm-hmm. do you do you definitely believe there's benefits to, because the reason why I ask this, because you, you even said that not everyone looking at your art is going to understand it, because it's personal. Mm-hmm. So do mm-hmm. you think critiques still work in that way you know they're, they're still yeah um okay so i think that critiques can be beneficial sometimes mm. um and i don't always think that it's people don't understand the art necessarily like that might not be the biggest problem i think the biggest problem is when people use tools developed by a sort of hyper intellectualized art world yes to critique artwork yes so it's not so much that people don't understand the art because I think that happens in the same way that if I tell somebody, hey, this is the experience I had, they might not understand what that experience is like or they might literally not understand my words. Maybe they don't speak English and literally don't understand my words. It's more like they are trying to use the wrong tools to understand it. So it's like as if I said a sentence to them and they were trying to understand it uh, you know, using a magnifying glass. It's like, you can't use a magnifying glass to understand a, a sentence that's been said. Absolutely. So, yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I, I really, I do love the art department at my, at Dickinson, which is where I went to undergraduate. Um, and they were a huge part of where I am today and my support system. So this is not me critiquing them. It's more of um, my experience belonging to a sort of academic art world in general. Yes. Um, yeah, so I think critiques can be useful, and I think I did learn from them in some ways. But I also think that um, sometimes the the routines or the methods that we have in the art world don't lend themselves to hearing voices that don't fit uh, these sort of stringent traditional academic art world guidelines. Right, right. Because I know you put a lot of the trauma you felt, and you also mentioned being queer and all that, you know, mm-hmm. in this work and someone who has not experienced that, I'm just like, should it be critiquing? Should it not be critiquing? And how is the artist taking that? You know, so that was my biggest concern with, you know, is all that. Yeah, sure. Well, I think one thing to say is that there's a pretty big difference between critiquing somebody and that you're trying to get them to change their work. Yeah. And then engaging with it and asking questions and even pressuring some points like, this part didn't seem to be doing something. Could you explain that to me? Is very different than saying, like, this is not successful at communicating your queer experience or something like that. When it's like, how do you know what my queer experience is? Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 
So, and, and I want you, I want to encourage you to throughout our conversations, like feel welcome to ask me any questions you have or, or anything like that. That's yeah. why I'm here. Yeah. You know, I love talking about it. Absolutely. So. I, and I can tell, that's why I just love, I just, just let you go. This has been, I'm sitting here like trying <laughs> to take it all in. It's like, wow, wow, wow. You know, I hope I'm not rambling too much. Feel no. free to interject or you're gotten, ask any more questions. You're through everything so well. I'm just like, okay, awesome. <laughs> this is the best. But yeah, I'm curious about oh, the performance you. thing. So how'd you develop? Yeah your vision for, for, for that? Yeah. So when I have an idea about something that I need to talk about in my art, whether it's like an idea I want to communicate or just a feeling or something like that, it normally doesn't have a medium in my head when I first had the idea. Mm -hmm. It's normally like a strong feeling. Oh, oh, like it kind of is like when you're having a conversation with somebody and you are about to say something and then you forget what it was you were going to say. And you're sitting there struggling, trying to remember, trying to remember. And then suddenly you remember what it was you were going to say. Yeah, and that feeling yeah. of like, oh, I got it. That's what it feels like when I have an idea. Ah, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, for art, at least. Yeah. So when that happens, I suddenly have this idea and then I need to figure out like how I want to say it. Um, and I got to a point with what I was doing that I felt like, drawing and painting, which is something that I still do. And I think holds a lot of value, um, just for me personally, as I make it, but also in just an art form, I love it. Um, but I felt like for the things that I wanted to talk about, it wasn't working. Gotcha. So I did produce a lot of work prior to the performance art that was talking about the same stuff. It just didn't feel like it was working. I didn't feel like it was getting across what I needed to get across. And I also felt like it wasn't, maybe engaging people's empathy as much as I needed it to. Mm -hmm. Not not so much that I was asking for people to empathize with me, but I wanted people to feel with me um, kind of as I perform, which I think is one of the beauties of performance art. And that goes beyond just sort of post-studio performance art, the kind of thing that I do, um, but into things like dance, yes. I think is such a powerful kind of art. It's like mm -hmm. when you're watching somebody who knows how to dance and loves dancing or even has never been trained but just loves dancing and you suddenly feel you're on this emotional journey with them um that was something that i wanted to kind of try to do more of because i wanted to bring the audience with me people who hadn't had these experiences i wanted them to kind of have them in a way if they could yes um, yes yes yeah so that's where i started thinking about performance art and at first i was doing kind of like video installation performance art so I would do these performances and take videos of them and then install them in sort of odd ways uh for example I did one lipstick piece where um it was just like it was kind of the beginning of all the lipstick pieces that I did um <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a five scene sort of video that involved the, all these different things like there was one scene where I go to a sink to wash my hands and the bar of soap is covered in lipstick and I wash my hands with the bar of soap covered in lipstick until all the lipstick is washed away and there's a clean bar of soap Mm. And then I walk away. So that was like one of the segments. And there, there were other things kind of like that. And there was one scene where I was naked and covered in lipstick and sleeping in a bed. Um, wow. And okay. it kind of was like a little bit narrative. It was just like a lot going on. So which is one of the reasons why I ended up not, you know, pursuing that piece in that way. Um, but once I had finished kind of videoing it all, I did splice it together. And then I hung a bunch of sheets around a room and projected the videos onto these sheets, um, which was kind of cool, but it was also not, it became more of like a video project, which I think is something that I didn't really respond to. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so then I was like, I think I just need to go about this, you know, more explicitly. Like I just need to write, you'll see, I think maybe you saw on my site, but, um, those performance pieces have instructions, mm -hmm. which is something that other performance artists do. Yoko Ono was really famous for doing this um, because I wanted it to feel like people could do it too if they wanted to. They could do exactly what I was doing. Um, and I would just do these really simple but thought out performances and either have people watch or um, have videos done of them or document in another way. Um, I, for me, I found that having somebody take photo documentation was really powerful. Yes. Um, yes. And it was also conducive for that community and that space I was in. There was also a little bit of a nervousness thing for me. You know, I was a student 
in college and I was doing these performances where I wasn't wearing any clothes and I knew, you know, my oh, professors were going to see this or, <laughs> or the people in my classes were going to see this. And at the end of the year, we had, there was a show in a gallery there and like whoever went to the gallery was going to see this. And so it also took a lot of bravery for me. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh my God. And I so, yeah. Uh, so at that time, I think, you know, doing photos of it worked really well especially because paired with the instructions, it left room for some imagination of, of what that was like, which I kind of liked. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's how I got into doing performance-based art like that. That's amazing. So is that also related to like the red revival thing where you're in a bathtub and that was all kind of around the same kind of theme? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I was trying to figure out the best way to say what I needed to say in the Red Revival piece, which is mm, one of my favorite pieces that I've ever made. And I am thinking actually of maybe returning to it and performing it again um, and maybe in a different context. I would love to perform it publicly um, oh, wow. at some point yeah. in my life. Like if I could, I don't know how I would do this and I, there's a pandemic, but you know, <laughs> in some future world, get a bathtub and put it somewhere really public but I, you know, I don't want to get arrested either. So you, yeah, you probably be like, I mean, you'd be nude. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that might be hard, but I, I've thought about revisiting that piece, but yeah. So that kind of came out of some of the earlier lipstick pieces that I was doing that weren't as successful, like that video project I was telling you about. Um, and it also was a piece that I was really trying to get at making somebody understand what the feeling that I was trying to communicate felt like. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what it would feel like to be, to voluntarily almost submerge yourself in a bath and not be able to breathe until the water's drained out of it. Wow. Um, while you're covered in this substance that's icky and sticky yes. and, you know, gross and looks kind of like blood, but also is lipstick, which has, which is tied to ideas of, you know, femininity and feminine expression. Um, and to me, it's kind of a weird thing because I don't really wear a lot of makeup that just doesn't really fall into how I express myself. Um, so it was kind of an interesting choice for me. I don't see it as like a beauty ritual as much as I, you know, I have distinct memories of being a kid and, you know, seeing a lady at a diner sip out of one of those diner cups, drink her coffee and have like a lipstick like, mark on the yeah, coffee cup. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or, you know, I've dated people who wear lipstick and getting their lipstick stains like on my pillows or on my face or something like that. Um, and so, you know, it carried with it a lot of different messages, but the one that I was really focusing on was uh, sort of how people perceive me or perceive me at that time, in what ways was I perceived as feminine and how did that um, affect their particular interpretations of what my role should be in my relationship to them. Um, wow. Which was sort of like a little bit more complicated and twisty, but what I was really getting at was this feeling of how people perceived me directly influenced the experiences I was having and they weren't good ones. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. And that that's where this sort of feeling submerged thing came into play. Um, so you're really throwing yourself into this art. I love this. <laughs> I, could listen, I could listen to this all day long. Gosh. Oh, thank you, Daniel. Yes. That's so kind. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, another one I want to talk on, because sure. it's kind of a curveball on your site, is the lapidation. Mm -hmm. So can yeah. you talk through that? Because it's totally different from everything else you were doing. Yeah. So the lipstick pieces we're all kind of dealing with one little package of experience, one little satchel of experience. And I felt like once I had done those pieces that I had done all of the kind of healing and rebuilding that I had the capacity for at that time. So I needed to kind of think about other things and work on some other things. The Free Pizza Podcast is sponsored by Zipster, specializing in custom websites and local design. You don't have to lift a finger to look cool online. Visit Zipster.com and see what they can do for you. 
Um, but I was still, still kind of stuck with this idea from the lipstick pieces about how the way other people see you and how they treat you informs the experiences that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and one way that we can measure that is in the words that people say to us. Um, if, the, if this matters to you at all, one of the things that I study in philosophy uh, is speech. I'm interested in oppressive speech. Yes, um, yes. Good. And, uh, yeah, oppressive speech and subversive speech and that kind of thing, what speech does. Um, so uh, I was thinking a lot about that at that time as well. And so this was coming into play about um, how the interactions we have with other people um, and the words that they say to us do something in terms of informing how we move about the world. Mm. Um, and I was trying to think, you know, how am I going to make this, how am I going to make this come to life? How am I going to put this into a physical form and not just explain it the way, like this? Um, and like some of my other ideas, it just kind of popped into my head one day. I was looking for something else on my computer, just like scrolling around. And I realized that uh, in my iPhoto, I had all these screenshots of conversations, of text conversations I had with people. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. And, and they were never taken to be malicious or to use as revenge or anything like that. Most of the time, they were really mundane, like my housemate asking me if I could get peanut butter on my way home or something like that. <laughs> um, or, or, you know, a text from my grandfather who is too old to really be able to sex- text and can't really see, so he would just send me random letters or um, I also had texts, though, from people that I was in really toxic relationships with or texts from people who were saying really intimate things to me or texts from people that I who, you know, I later experienced severe trauma with. And um, I think at the time, often those texts I saved just to reassure myself that that was actually happening. Mm. Um, and just kind of especially because I'm somebody that I like to keep things kind of neat and tidy. So I tend to delete my text threads. Um, And it's like, I don't want to forget that this person said this. I need to not forget this. And it was never meant to be like, oh, I'm going to take this screenshot and like do something with it. I mean, I did do something with it, but it wasn't like I used people's names with this at all. Yeah, it wasn't Um, malicious. No, not at all. So much of it was more talking about like who I am today and why. And uh I so I went through and indiscriminately I just took every screenshot I had of conversation going back to the when I first had an iPod Touch and could take screenshots. Oh my god! So, yes. Yeah, which must have been like uh, I don't remember how many years ago, but must have been like in high school, like early in high school. Um, and uh, so some of them were just really you know way back about soccer uniforms and stuff like that. Um, and then they, they spanned all the way up into that present day. And some of the texts were really, really intense and some of them were not. Um, but they all informed who I was, I felt, and they quantified that. Like I'm interested in numbers and how things can be enumerated. Mm -hmm. So, um, I knew that I wanted to do something with all those texts, with all those words. And I wasn't sure how I wanted to, you know, make them, make it obvious that they were something that informed who I was. I played with ideas of, you know, writing them on me or, or typing them out myself or writing them all by hand onto something. And I was like, none of this is doing what I needed to do. And um, I had felt that my work doing performance stuff had um, felt really good to me. It felt like I was really manifesting what I needed to manifest. Um, And so I knew that I wanted to do a performance style and I, was thinking about how reflecting on all these conversations, I was feeling, you know, a, a heaviness and intensity to it. I mean, the, the bad things, but also the good things, just this sort of general weight of like, oh, life, you know, these connections I have with people and things. So um, I decided that I needed to do something that could be interactive with other people. Yes. So yeah. um, I collected a ton of rocks like just so many rocks (laughs) and I just transcribed all of these text messages onto these rocks. Um, and I left everybody's name out and I left any identifying factors out because it wasn't important to me that anybody who interacted with, with this piece or really even for myself that names or identifying factors were included. It was more just about the words and the content of the words and what was being said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I ended up having, I don't remember the number of rocks exactly, but I think it was over a hundred. It was, it was many, many rocks, Oh my gosh. Uh, very, very heavy. And I 
took a jacket, a jacket that, um, is something that I would, you know, typically wear. I got it at a used clothing store though. Um, and I took all the rocks and filled the jacket with the rocks. So I put, (laughs) you know, (laughs) hundreds of rocks into all the pockets and, um, I had to cut in the inner sort of layers of the jacket, I had to cut into it um, and make sort of pockets, like false pockets inside so I could fit all the rocks in. Um, And then I just spent a while going about my daily life. Um, So I just went into the spaces that I normally would go into. Like I went to the gym. I didn't work out, but I did go into the gym. I weighed myself on the scale at the gym. I walked around campus. I went into the philosophy department um, offices where I spent a lot of time my senior year working with my professors. Um, And I spent a while chatting with one of my professors while I was wearing this jacket filled with rocks. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and part of that that was so important to me is that for one, I was walking around with a physical weight, thinking about how this is sort of like a physical embodiment of a mental weight that I have, um, which felt bad and good at the same time. It was bad because I was sweating. It was really hot out that day. Um, and I was wearing like essentially a winter jacket. It was May or something, but it was, it was, um, in Pennsylvania. So it was, you know, pretty warm. Yes. And, uh, um, so physically I was uncomfortable, but I also had this sort of cathartic feeling of, you know, now my body is bearing some of the weight that my mind bears which to me is, oh. can be a really good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I, one of the reasons why I'm such a big promoter of using our bodies in art is that I think it's one area where the body and the mind and the self and stuff can all kind of come together and exist together and people can believe that and take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really like to embody some of these ideas about who I am and about, um, what it means to kind of be a person in relation to all these experiences that we have in a really embodied way. So for me, that was also kind of cathartic. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I'm not sure that I'm finished with that piece either. So I, I, I did that. I went about my day. I had, um, an amazing friend and fellow artist, uh, help me out documenting that. Um, and she did an awesome job with the pictures. Um, and, you know, what, that, that piece was in a show. And when it was, the jacket was hanging on the wall, like on a coat hook, and all the rocks were on the ground. And so people who came to the show could go and pick up the rocks and look at them and read them if they wanted to, and then see the pictures of me wearing the jacket filled with rocks next to the empty jacket and the rocks on the ground. Wow, um, that's amazing. Thank you. Is there a reason why the face is kind of not in the frame? Yeah. So I was, when I was working on that, I was really starting trying to get at, um, that it wasn't, you know, those rocks were my particular rocks, but everybody has rocks, you know, everybody has been affected by the way that the world has spoken to them and the people in the world have spoken to them. Um, and everybody's been changed and formed in some way because of that. Um, and I wanted in, in a lot of my work, I want to invite people to think about, what it would be like for them to talk about their experience in this way. You know, Um, I wanted, I I like the idea. I had a professor in undergrad who often um, would describe work that she responded to as curious. And that's something that I've, I've kept with me in my heart. Um, And I really wanted to evoke a sense of curiosity with, um, you know, what's going on in this? What is this person doing? Who's this person? Could I be this person? (laughs) Why does this person have rocks in their pockets, you know? And so I, as much as I'm talking about these really serious topics, I also wanted to keep alive this invitation for people to wonder about what was going on. I love that. Um, Yeah. And so in that piece, you know, I really wanted to not be focused on my face, but rather be focused on uh, the message of, of how words affect who we are as people. Um, I, I thought I, one thing I thought would be really cool. So I, one thing maybe you should know is that I still have the jacket and I still have the rocks. Really? Um, yes, because I don't think I'm done with it. I think there's more that needs to happen. Um, yeah. So part of me is like, I should go somewhere ceremonious and throw all the rocks into a body of water, like into a river or something. 
Um, and I was like, hey, I'm not sure if that's right. But one thing I would like to do is put all the rocks in the pockets and then invite people to wear the jacket. So let other people feel the physical weight of my burdens for a little while and see how they respond to that. I would um, love to see that in video format. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. That's good encouragement. Maybe I, maybe I will, maybe I'll work out a way to do that. Um, yes. And I also would love to wear somebody else's burdens physically too, Yeah. you know? Um, and I know that this isn't something that everybody could emulate similarly. Um, right. You know, it's a privilege of mine that I am able to take screenshots of these text conversations I'm having. So for me, that was a way that I could make this happen, but there are other ways too. Um, and I would love like, you know, what would your jacket be like? What would it feel like to wear your rocks on my body? You know, wow. it's sort of like a different kind of walk a mile in their shoes. Exactly. Sort of. But like you're kind of literally walking a mile or whatever in with someone's burdens. <laughs> like that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's incredible. I've never thought about that before. Wow. Oh, I'm so you glad should, it's making you think. You should definitely do something with that. We got we to gotta manifest well, it. Yeah, we should. We got to <laughs> manifest this. I'm here for it. Um, and I'll definitely let you know if I do, I, I think it's coming. Like it's, it's been in my mind a little bit lately more so. So it was like almost two years ago that I was doing that project and, uh, it, it comes back, you know, I've been thinking about it lately, so oh, I'll let yes. you know. <laughs> Absolutely. So I wanted to talk about how you got some, cause a lot of people I know who were, um, who studying art and stuff want to figure out how to get their art in these different galleries and your art is mm -hmm. kind of all over. So you talk, yeah, you talk sure. about some of those or some of your favorite moments of doing that and kind of how yeah. you were able to do that? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, the privilege I had through my education. I just was able, because I went to an undergraduate school that uh, provided me with like a lot of connections and opportunities um, that allowed me to kind of get my name out there, which I'm really grateful for. But I also see as kind of a symptom of issues in the art world. <laughs> um in terms of it being a kind of elite space sometimes, mm. um, which, uh, you know, it really needs to change. And I think it is changing. I think uh, actually social media is helping a lot with that. I think public art is helping a lot with that. I think people are starting to really question the, the institutions that we have, um, including that of like the academic art world. Um, but at the same time, I also had a lot of really fun experiences, uh, you know, in the shows that I was in because of that. Um, most recently, I was in a show that I thought was really, really cool called The Strip Show. Wow. Um, <laughs> which I might, my, my CV looks like sort of risque because I was in a show called Kinky Sink. And the next one after that is called The Strip Show. Exactly. And it's just like lipstick bodies. I don't even, yeah. Um, <laughs> the Strip Show was a really fabulous show put on at a gallery in Vermont. Um, that the, the the basis of the show was kind of playing between nudes and comic strips. Okay. So it was like talking about um, sort of narrative art, but also bodies and uh, and kind of blending different mediums together um, in in a really specific kind of curation. And the curator uh, did such a fabulous job with that show. There were artists, there were sculptors, there were illustrators. Um, photographers and a lot of painters as well. Um, and so I had, a, I had one of my paintings in that show. Um, and I uh, was invited to be in the show because um, the curator of the show and the owner of that gallery is affiliated with the nonprofit that I was teaching for. Um, and so they were kind of aware of my artwork um, mm -hmm. at that time. Uh, I for it, sort of maybe tips for other people um, who are trying to get their work out there. I do think social media can be really good. Yes. Um, because when, for example, when this person was sort of thinking, oh, you know, I've heard that Elsie does figurative art. Maybe I should check out her work. They could go to my Instagram page and see all this. And the curator is like, hey, I saw this, this painting. Can it be in a show? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I think, uh, you know, kind of getting your work out there um, is really important. Um, I also think being brave is really important. Yeah, uh, yeah sometimes you just, you got to go up and you got to say, Hey, 
I'm an artist and believe yourself when you say you're an artist. That's another big thing. I think there are people who make art who feel like they can't call themselves an artist. My message to them is that they are artists. Yes. They're, they are artists and they should, you know, try as best they can to learn to feel like they're artists and learn to say that to other people. Again, a way that words can form who we are, but start telling people you're an artist because you are, you know? Um, and so when I started doing that, it opened a lot of doors for me, I think, um, in terms of, uh, you know, just getting to know people who are in the art world um, and things like that. Uh, yeah, so the strip show was really awesome. That was my the most recent show that I was in. Um, and now I'm in a new a new state, a new city, and I don't know what the future holds for my art in Baltimore, but I'm so excited because the art scene here is awesome. That is incredible. That's a great segue. So let's talk about your your, your, your journey to Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore, sure. Maryland. So yeah, so let's talk, tell us why you're in Baltimore and then tell us how you're adapting with your art and connecting mm-hmm. and how you're going to keep pursuing this thing. Sure. Um, so where to start? Um, a pretty big realization I had not too long ago was that when I was really trying to use my art to pay for my life. Mm. My art was getting squished in a way that I didn't like. Yes. Um, And I think there's this pressure on artists that, you know, to make it as an artist means that your only income is coming from the art you're making Mm -hmm. or, um, or like you're this starving artist trope in a tiny little closet (laughs) of a studio or something like that. And, the real, the reality is like, there's so many different ways to be artists and a lot of making art is making art in a way that works for you. Um, and, and so that you can make art that is real for you. Um, and so after undergraduate, I I did have a little bit of a crisis of like, Oh my gosh, like I don't want to not be an artist. So I started to think really hard about what it meant for me to be an artist and how I want to keep doing that. Um, and I, so in the year I spent, um, the time I spent between, undergraduate and where I am now, I was teaching art classes to, um, young people in a program for people with complex trauma and Mm. other, um, mental health challenges. Uh, often you came from really difficult situations, a really diverse group of students. They were, uh, ranging from like 12 to 18 years old. Um, yeah. And it really made me rethink, some of art, you know, for them who were in this program that was really strict and, uh, you know, they had a lot of rules to follow. They could come to the studio. I I did a lot of open studio classes. Um, they could come to the studio and they could just make something, whatever it is they wanted to make, I would help them make it. And for them, it was liberating. It was like, I would hear them say, like, I just want to feel like a person a lot of the time. Wow. And oh they gosh. could come into the class and, you know, feeling really bad and leave feeling like this much more like a person, like a little bit more like a person because they'd had this freedom to make something. And I was like, you know what? Art doesn't have to be about me making it as an artist. Like, I'm learning from my students here. I'm learning that making art is, is more than what we've been taught it is. And so with that in mind, I was able to kind of, um, go forth in my life, uh, with art, maybe not being my primary source of income. Um, uh, though it is part of that. Um, I, and as I mentioned, I also studied philosophy. Uh, I have a huge passion for philosophy. My (laughs) art and my philosophy overlap a lot. Um, I like to sometimes philosophers aren't comfortable talking about art because it's, again, it's one of those things that sometimes isn't serious enough. So I love to bring it up and challenge them with that. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I moved to Baltimore to pursue a PhD in philosophy. Um, and I am interested in teaching. So my experience teaching art also kind of influenced my decision to go into, um, teaching philosophy eventually. Um, and uh, yeah, so I moved here this week. Um, yes, yay. <laughs> yes, finally, yay! In the middle of a pandemic, which has felt so wild. Oh my um, gosh, I can only imagine. Yeah, but now that I'm here and I have all my things, my books, my paints—you know—that's really all I need. I feel like I'm settling in. Um, 
And I am excited to see where my art goes because of this. Like I mentioned, when I went to Italy, I saw a lot of changes in my art. I was using different kinds of materials to make art. Um, I saw a huge shift in the kinds of uh, the ways I was making art from doing, you know, two-dimensional painting to sort of more interactive, conceptual-based work. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that being in a new environment will probably encourage that here. So, but I don't know how that's, what it's going to be like yet. I've only been here for a few days, but I'm sure we're going to see some cool changes in my work. Um, I'm so excited. Yeah, good. I'm so glad. I, uh, I do have some projects. I have a few performance pieces that I'm not going to tell you anything about because I don't want to spoil any surprises. Oh. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. Okay, give I'll us tell one. you that, yeah, the main medium is fruit. <gasps> Ooh. Yes, Ooh, I know. Yeah. So that's, I don't know when I'm going to be able to do that. Uh, one challenge um, that I think a lot of people have, a lot of people in the art community have been facing because of the pandemic is just uh, a lack of community. Uh, I do think that uh, the internet has helped with that a lot. Doing things like this is really great. Like I feel so connected to you and to other people who care about creativity and the arts. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, Instagram and stuff, we've seen a lot more art making going on, but I miss, um, you know, I miss my students and I miss the people, the other teachers who were at that nonprofit. Yeah. Um, I miss, you know, working with other people and for performance art, for me, a big challenge, if I'm alone, like I live alone here, uh, is finding a way to document it properly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a challenge that I'm facing, you know, one way to do it would be to do everything video based, which might be cool, might be the way to go with this piece. Yes. Um, but it means like I can't take photos of it. Alternatively, it could be to do the performance and have nothing except for the residual left over. Like you can see in Red Revival how there's like the last image is just the just an imprint. Um, the imprint. So if I wanted to do like imprint based performance work, um, that's sort of an idea that I, I have brewing. But I've also been responding to um, my work in watercolor a lot lately. I've been feeling good about that. Um, okay. I've been working on a series, which a few of them are on the website and many of them are on my Instagram called Points of Contact, mm -hmm. which kind of came out of COVID as a thing where I started thinking about my physical relation to other bodies more. And when I'm walking down the street, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, when I was walking down the street and I was seeing somebody walk down the street, I was like suddenly aware of how close I was to them. And, you know, uh, the way that we interact with people is, has changed so much now. Yes, it um, has. And that uh, points of contact series is not finished. I'm still working on some pieces that are in it. And so I presume that that's going to keep going while I'm here. I love so. that. So you'll be out like roaming the Thank streets you. and kind of getting some inspiration. That's, that's yeah, so definitely. Cool. I <laughs> think you. it's so easy for, and I won't say easy because everyone's different, um, but for an artist to move to a different place because they can kind of make, they can kind of make it work with their, within their art. You know, you can go oh, out definitely. and connect with people or just kind of observe and people watch and you kind of make it work. So definitely. And I feel like um, artists are so receptive to environment just in terms of inspiration, kind of what you're saying, like, you know, they see the world in such cool ways. I'm, I'm not just saying this about me, but everyone, all these creatives out there, you know, they see these really beautiful or curious things in the world that inform the kind of art that they're making. Mm, um, and yes. it, it definitely lends itself to uh, going to different places, not necessarily like traveling. I actually think that traveling in the sort of Instagram influencer sense is not very is maybe not the best way to do that. But like, for me, I like to go to like, um, sort of abandoned buildings sometimes oh, <laughs> and not, not like in them. And I, you know, I'm very wary of my safety, yes, but, um, yes, but I, one thing I have found is if you bring a sketch pad and a pencil and a camera and you, and people ask you questions, you just say you're an artist and they won't ask you any more questions. So you can kind of like, you have free license to sort of wander. Of course I'm respectful of, you know, private places and things like that. But I love walking down the street and seeing a building that hasn't been used. And I come up with all these stories in my head of, you know, who was there before, what kind of, what histories are in embedded in the architecture of that building or something like that. Um, so yeah, definitely. I think, I think that art does lend itself to relocating in that way. Absolutely. 
Wow, I, the story is so good. Like it's it's so amazing. It's, it's so fluid. You seem like it's it, it feels like it's Thank making you. it making it feel so easy. <laughs> like you did you're in Rome, and then you're in Vermont, and then you're in Baltimore, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. This is like how in the world, but amazing. Oh, thank you. I think I think I'm maybe making it sound more fluid than it felt like. There was a lot of me sweating and just feeling like, oh my gosh, this is never going to work out. I have no money. I have so many loans. <laughs> and uh, just being sort of generally, you know, chaotic about it and like, can't find my paint. I need my paint. Oh, I left it at the studio. I got to go back oh, to work. No. Like, yeah, there's, you know, real life is so much more messy than than uh, it sounds in a podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, you kind of polish it up a little bit, you know? But still, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we all know behind the scenes that you're working so hard. And so I guess right now you're working, you. you say you're focusing more on watercolors and stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I am focusing a little bit more on watercolors right now, though I have I've already noticed myself in the past week having some pretty big ideas about performances that I want to do or sort of more conceptual-based artwork that I want to do. Um, and often those pieces take a little bit longer for me to, um, kind of make public mm -hmm. sometimes because they're more emotional, but sometimes because especially when I am working alone and I don't have other people to bounce ideas off of in the same way as I do when I'm in a, you know, a really solid community of artists that I see regularly, it takes me a while to work through the idea and really make sure that every moment in the performance, um, is what I need it to be kind of. Um, right. so, so I do have those projects too, but they're, they're maybe not as, um, obvious that they're going on as my painting. Right. The free pizza podcast is proudly sponsored by lucky house MFG. Lucky house is an eco-friendly screen printing and design studio with over 10 years of experience in the industry. They offer high-quality custom printing services, including apparel printing, graphic design, promo goods, and embroidery. Visit www.luckyhousemfg.com to get a quote and to learn more. Right. I know you have, you know, you have a lot of th secret things happening. You know, I won't... Yeah, behind I, the scenes. I can't, I'm so stoked to see because you've done so much, you know what I'm saying? But I'm curious. I didn't, yeah, I didn't prepare you, you for this question, but what... Is there any medium of art that you've been wanting to dive into that you haven't yet that you might later on? Mm, great question. <sighs> hmm. Well, I'm definitely interested in doing more collaborative work, okay. working with other artists directly, Yeah. which is, you know, I've had artists who've supported me, uh, like having my my awesome friend come and uh, document some of my performances, mm -hmm. but that was more of like a documentation of the performance and less of like a collaboration of ideas. Um, and uh, I recently, you've probably seen the pictures on my Instagram. I have just finished up uh, a project with two other artists, a filmmaker and a dancer. Yes. Um, and we're doing, yeah. So we're doing this really kind of interesting conceptual and site specific sort of film dance painting like there's other parts of it that you can't really see that because i haven't posted anything about them um and that i found so rewarding because i was like oh my gosh we're all bringing different things to the table and we're all working together and so i would love to do um maybe some more work with dancers in the future honestly um yeah that'd be so sick I, I, I don't know what i have in mind but like it'd be really cool some i don't know something with like where their bodies mark the space in a certain way like an idea that I have, there's this thing called cyanotype, which is like a chemical they used to use in photography, yes. you know, that blue stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. So imagine like a sheet that's been soaked in cyanotype laid out on the ground and then a dancer performing a dance on top of that. So as it develops in the sunlight, it, the parts that are exposed are the parts that, um, the dancer doesn't touch as frequently. So when it's done and you develop the sheet, you have like the footprints and the outline of where the dancer was dancing uh, printed in cyanotype on the sheet. Yo. See what I'm saying? Yes. Like something like that where it's, you know, it's, there's a dancer who I want the dancer to have a huge role in this too and work with me. I don't know. If there's any dancers out there who want to do this, hit me I'm up. Say, yo, Baltimore, <laughs> get a hit to hold me yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. so, be so sick. Um, I myself, I can't dance like to save my life. Um, She's lying. But 
<laughs> I do love dance. I appreciate it so much. And so um, that's something that I've got. I've got my brain. Um, I also, I love poetry. I love fiction writing. Ooh, I yeah. don't really ever do those things. Philosophy, I do a ton of writing in philosophy, but philosophy is very sort of scientific language, um, academic philosophy. It's not like writing poetry. It's very gotcha. like, logical. It's more like, in some ways, it's a little bit more like writing a science paper than it is writing a poem. Um, you know, people people would argue that. Philosophers would argue that. They argue a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, as it turns out. Um, but I would love to dabble a little bit more in using words in my work okay. in some way or another. Okay. But, yeah. So that's my answer for the question I wasn't prepared for. <laughs> Absolutely. You answered it beautifully, of course. And Thank you. <laughs> this has been such a... A great conversation. I love that the way you kind of just like you, you weren't definitely weren't rambling, but you just kind of answer everything without me having to answer them. And it was just great to kind of sit here and just listen. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad. I hope I. I really hope I wasn't rambling too no, much. No, but... I would have interrupted if you if you were going about. Okay, you were you were Good. you were it was it was it was amazing. It was amazing, and it was cool. Kind of you. envisioning you as a kid being at school and yet free range <laughs> and seeing how uh -huh. that developed over the years into what you're doing now. And it's like, it's, to see it come full circle, this is crazy. Thank you. Absolutely, yeah. Well, absolutely. You, you asked such great questions too. Do you, do you have anything else that you're, you're wondering or is in your mind? I'm wondering if, uh, well, you kind of dropped some jewels, you know, throughout your whole, <laughs> your conversation, but I want to hear some tips for some up and coming artists. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. So let's see. I think, one main thing is, uh, and I sort of have talked about this a little bit throughout this, um, but I, I do feel that art has so much power to help people individually, but also to help address problems in society and to talk about things and start these conversations. Um, and it has this really, really strong subversive power, mm. you know, to push against things. We've seen, especially, I mean, now we've just seen so much wonderful art coming out that's been talking about people's personal life experiences that have been shedding so much light on things. And it's pushing against these institutions and infrastructure we have for keeping people quiet, you know? And um, I, my advice is to artists, keep in mind this power of art when you're making art and keep in mind that some of the rules that are set up in the art world about how we have to make art can co-opt that can co-opt mm. the subversive power and take it away and put you into a box or put you onto a railroad track instead of letting you, you know, go free range and uh, keep that in mind and give yourself permission to not follow the rules that you think are there and let yourself have weird ideas. If you have a crazy idea, if you think to yourself, Hey, I'm going to cover my body in lipstick and get in a bathtub, <laughs> just do it, yes. you know, just do it. Like, let yourself have these weird and crazy sounding ideas and let yourself push against these rules that we have of art making um, so that you don't let the power of art get co-opted by anyone else. This is your power, you know? Yes, so yes. I, I hope that other artists can give themselves that permission. Um, and then uh, the last piece of advice I have would be, um, you know, put the hours in, yes. honestly. Like yes. I, I put, I probably spend, you know, in a working day when I have work during the day, you know, at least three hours a day making art. Yes. And when I was an undergrad, I was doing 35 hours a week. Easy. Doing art, you know, easy. So just, and, and it's hard because there's so much frustration, but you need to remind yourself that every time you make something and you don't like it, you learn from that and you don't have to be hard on yourself if you don't like something that you made. You know, you just have to think, okay, let's try again. You know, let's keep going. Let's keep trying. Let's keep building on, you know, the things that we're creating. So, yeah, clock the hours. <laughs> yes. Yo, and break the rules. There's no rules to yes. art. You know what I'm break saying? the rules. Exactly. There are no rules. Don't let there be rules to art either. Yeah, don't let there be rules. And encourage, <laughs> yeah, the other part of that, encourage other artists who are also breaking the rules. Support them. Support other artists. If mm -hmm. you can give money to artists, give money to artists, especially artists who don't have money. Do that. Oh, if God, you can yes. give community, if you can empathize with other artists, do that. If you can give them voice, if you can elevate them, do that. You know, like 
definitely allow other artists to keep breaking rules too. I love that. I love that. Do you ever think, do you ever sit and think about what if you didn't come out that artist closet you talked about earlier? You kind of continue oh, yeah. on the lawyer path? Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. I would be so sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't even know. I can't, I can't even, you know, art feels like who I am in so many ways. I can't even imagine what I, like who I would be if I had stayed in there. Oh, oh my yes. gosh. I am for, <laughs> I for sure. I'm very happy that you did not say that path. I wouldn't be here right now. So, yes, thank you, and I'm glad to be here right now, and I'm glad to be talking with you. Absolutely, this is it's definitely a pleasure. Like this is this is amazing. I knew you were going to be awesome, but you know, <laughs> you never know what's going to get into you. And then, right, as soon as you popped on here, I was like, oh, this is going to be wonderful. <laughs> but yes, oh, so, thank you so much. Absolutely, absolutely. And on oh, your social media, give us that. Yeah, sure. So my Instagram is Elsie Campbell. Um, that's it. E-L-S-I-E, and mm -hmm. then C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. -L. And um, on my Instagram, you'll see my website's linked. Um, and that's about it that I use for social media. Perfect. If you want to get in touch with me, you can DM me on Instagram. Uh, if you're interested in, if anybody listening is interested in painting, uh, acquiring a painting, I do sell some of my paintings. Yes. Um, and I also do commissions. So uh, you can get in touch with me via Instagram or go to my website and there's also a contact page there. On my website, I also have listed um, some more information about me and I do sell watercolor paintings directly through my website also. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And you do ship you within the US, right? Yep, I ship within the US. Um, and if you're interested in buying more complicated things than watercolor paintings, we can chat about it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We'll support Elsie. <laughs> Thank I am, you. I'm going to figure out what I want, but I'm going to get something because I have to support. <laughs> I have to support the homie. Well, well, hold on a little bit because there's more going up later this week. Oh, oh, well, absolutely. Then. <laughs> yes. Okay. One more thing because I'm curious. Okay, with uh -huh. you say you 20 years down the road, what do yeah. you hope for your life to look like? As far as being an artist, philosopher, like, oh. what do you want to be doing? Yeah. Well, I want to be teaching. I want to be teaching philosophy. I want to be changing the way. This sounds like such a big dream when I say this out loud, but I want to change some of the ways that we teach philosophy and the kinds of things we teach. Yes. Um, there's a lot of change going on in discipline right now, which I'm really excited by. Uh, and I want to be part of that. Um, so I want to be working with students and I want to be surrounded by art. I want to, you know, I love trading art. So I like, I, I love trading yes. my art for other people's art. So I want to have art by all these people in my home and I want my art to be out in the world living in other people's homes where they can connect with it and appreciate it. Um, and, uh, I really want, you know, I hope that, um, in my life I can continue to do things that make art possible for other people too. And just, I want more people to be artists, you know, yes. so whatever I can do to, whatever I can do to do that. I'm with <laughs> it. Well, I'm glad you're part of the free pizza journey and I hope this is helpful yeah. to you as well. You yeah, it totally saying? is. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. And everybody, follow follow Daniel here and follow Free Pizza. Yes. You're awesome. Yes. You're doing great things. I love this platform. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming again. Um, yes. Support Elsie. Check out her work. <laughs> go to the website. We talked a lot about her work that's on her website. So it probably make more sense if you go look on the website during this um, conversation or look at it after the interview is over, which the interview is over. But, um, <laughs> but yes, thank you again. And definitely stay safe. Yes, you too. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. The Free Pizza Podcast. We are on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. Just go on the Google App Store. Go on everywhere. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, MySpace, Live Journal, Twitter. We tweet. We'll do smoke sniggles. Whatever y'all need. Thank y'all so much. Have a good night.